Hey, welcome. We're in Hebrews 12 this morning, guys. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son who he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with us, with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight path for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and causing trouble and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was re rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burn with fire. And to blackness, and to darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of, the, of words, so that those who hear it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was commanded, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, 
to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. To the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying yet once more, I, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made. That the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we praise you, Father. We thank you, Father, for the countless blessings in our lives. Thank you, Father, for the shed blood of your Son. Father God, may the light of your word penetrate our hearts. May it penetrate our minds. May it accomplish the work it set out to do. May it transform us into the image of your Son here, a little, there, a little. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you, Father, for saving us. Thank you, my God. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Oh, wow. Is that me, Lord? appears to be oh look i'm good i'm probably gonna yell okay when we come here to hebrews chapter 12 intensely practical and when we look at the intensely practical things in hebrews chapter 12 it's 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 very paul-like even though we don't know who the author is meaning it's filled with doctrine and it moves from doctrine into practical and the idea is that right knowing leads to right doing Right knowing leads to right doing. When we understand the truth about who God is, what God's like, what God's about, when we know the truth about those things, it leads to right doing. Most of the time, we, we try to do it the opposite way. Meaning, we try to live life rightly and then hope that, that God is going to do something on our behalf. But it actually works the other way. Right knowing, knowing about the Lord, right knowing who He is, what He's about, leads to right doing. And we can see that as we work our way through. Now, we began a couple of weeks ago, just, just by way of remembrance, we're going to see four exhortations in this chapter and four motivations. The exhortation means right doing. Here's what you need to do. The motivation is right knowing. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know so that you understand here is what you need to do. And we, last time we, we began in the first one. Here's what the first one said. Here's the exhortation, the right doing. Let us, uh, 
be exhorted to be strong. Let us run our race. Let us pursue peace and holiness. Let us not be like Esau. So the idea is this is the doing that we're called to. Now if we're going to do that, we need to know something. What is it that we needed to know? We need to know that God is disciplining us. That God is at work within us to produce holiness. That God is at work within us to produce peace. So therefore, don't fail to obtain the grace that God has given. Don't follow the example of Esau. Right knowing, God is for you, not against you. Right doing, run the race that's laid out before you with endurance. Cast off everything that's holding you back. Recognize that God is calling us to a walk of strength, a walk of holiness, a walk of peace. But understand that those are things God's doing inside of you. That God is working and building us from the inside out. Right knowing leads to right doing. Again, the four exhortations. Throw off everything that slows you down. Run your race with endurance. Keep in mind, Jesus is the originator. He's the one who started the faith. He's the finisher. He's the one who finishes the faith. That Jesus has done this perfect work in us. Exhortation number two, be strong. Make your path straight. Pursue peace and holiness. Don't be like Esau. Motivation number two is where we left off last time. Motivation number two starts in verse 18. For you have not come to this mountain, but to that one. There's a comparison by contrast that we want to look at. Now, keep in mind, we'll come right back to that. Exhortation number three. See that you don't refuse Him who speaks. Trust God. Don't spurn His grace. That's the doing. The the doing, the motivation comes in verse 25 through 27. Exhortation number four. Be thankful for an unshakable kingdom and worship and serve God in reverence and in awe. Motivation number four, right knowing, is verse 29. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Let's take a look at these motivations that God is calling us to. Exhortation number two. Second one we looked at. Be strong, make straight path, pursue peace and holiness. Don't be like Esau. Because, verse 18, for you have not come to that which may be touched. That word for, you see it in the beginning in your Bibles, should be in most of your Bibles. That word for is there to tell us this is our motivation for the exhortation. Because we don't want to follow the example of Esau, you need to understand the argument that he's laying out. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages would be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it would be stone. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So don't be like Esau because you haven't come to that one. You haven't come to that mountain. This is Mount Sinai. And sometimes we forget at Mount Sinai, when God gave the law, it was God who spoke to the people. God from the top of of Mount Sinai spoke, and the people at the bottom of Mount Sinai heard Him. There was earthquake and 
thunder and lightning and darkness and fire and all this scary stuff. And when God was speaking, the people were so freaked out just by the, by the voice of God that they tell Moses, yeah, we can't hear no more. You go talk to God and we'll wait here for you. You guys know how that turned out, right? <laughs> Moses went up, come down, they're all dancing around a golden calf. Right? They kind of lost their way in 40 days. Now what's the point? The point is, what we see in this illustration is what it is to come before God without mediation. To stand before God without mediation is terrifying. To stand before the holy God without a mediator. So what did the people ask? Moses, you be our mediator. You go talk to God. Yeah? So the example, again, don't be like Esau. Be strong. Be what you need to be. And realize, you haven't come to that mountain like Moses did, where he was afraid and trembling. You haven't come to that place where there was all this fear. In Exodus 19.16, it says this, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. So everybody freaks out when they stand before God without a mediator. We have not come to that mountain. That's not our relationship with God. We have mediation. Look at verse 22, Hebrews 12. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, what's that next phrase? The mediator of the new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The other was an example of unmediated holiness. Standing in the presence of God without a mediator between us. This is an example of mediated holiness, meaning there's someone standing between us and God that gives us, that grants to us right standing. And that person is Jesus Christ. Mediated holiness is so much better. Why? Because it's not Mount Sinai, it's Mount Zion. Mount Zion, that's God's holy mountain. That's the, that's the, the idea, the symbol. It's used of a lot of places. It's used of... Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, but overall, what it is, is the presence of God, being in God's presence. It can be spiritual, like thinking of heaven, or physical, thinking on earth, wherever God's presence is, that's where Mount Zion is. You came to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is not the mountain unmediated, but it has a mediator, someone who makes us in right standing before God. So the terror of meeting a holy God as imperfect, unholy, broken beings is mediated by the perfection of Jesus Christ. He's the lens between us and God that helps us see and understand who God is and helps God be able to see us, to look through Him upon us. We've come to the city of the living God. He defines Mount Zion right there. The heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. The, 
that the perfection, the place. Remember when we talk about the Bible, really the Bible's a tale of two cities. Two cities. Babylon, which speaks of man's rebellion against God, and Jerusalem, which is utilized of the city who is governed by God. And we're in one of those two camps. We are either in rebellion against God in Babylon, or we are in Jerusalem being governed by God. But that's only two choices. There's no in-between. A lot of people want to find a fence somewhere. The fence belongs to the devil, just so you know. God wants us to pick a side. You read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, and find a place where God says, you know what, just hang out in the middle and don't make waves. You think you can find that? You have a hard time finding it. I know a lot of people struggle with, with concepts and ideas and things. I know people struggle even with some of the things uh, that we do. But know this, even as we talked about it a few weeks ago, all our missions, all our vision, all our focus, we're pulling straight out of the Word of God. This is where God is calling us. This is how God is directing us. This is what His Word says. Nothing we do that doesn't come straight out of the Word of God. Straight out, this is what God's asking of us. So this is how we ought to respond. We are choosing a camp. We want to be the, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, right? The people who are governed by God. Who, who basically show up to God in the morning and say, Lord, here am I, use me. What do you have for me? Right knowing leads to right doing, right? So if we know these things, if we know them and allow them to, to be the foundation of our knowledge, then from that knowing will spring our doing. The heavenly Jerusalem. To angels, you see the angels, it's a myriad of angels. In the Greek, it's the word myriad, which is the highest number they have. Which basically means a lot. Right? It would be like us saying a bazillion. So the word, the Greek word myriad is the same as our word bazillion. We, if I said there's a bazillion, you guys would know what I mean, right? Not a lot. I don't want to count them. I just know there's a bunch of them. So there's a lot of angels, and look what they're in. They're in festal gear. They're celebrating. They're celebrating. Same phrase used for the feast of God. That the angels are celebrating. Now, when we read the Scripture, when does it tell us specifically that angels celebrate? You remember? Jesus told us, what did He say? When one sinner repents, what happens? The angels celebrate. He said, man, you didn't come to that place where there was no mediation between you and God, but you've come here to Mount Zion, to spiritual Jerusalem, to your home, the place where you belong. And the angels are celebrating because you're there. The angels are celebrating because we're there, because we have come to that place. And then he, not only does he say that, but we are also find ourselves in the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. The assembly of the firstborn. Now who's that? Well, the firstborn is Jesus, and the assembly is the same word, ecclesia, which is used for church. So what's the church of Jesus Christ? Yeah, the, the, the bride of Christ? The, the body of Christ? These who are, whose names are written. They're enrolled. Their names are written here. Look, in Luke 10.20 it says this. Jesus, speaking to His disciples, He sent them out two by two. You remember? The, he gave them power. He said, I give you authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick. You guys tracking with me? And they come back and they're all stoked. Man, you should have seen all the cool stuff we could do. 
Lord, even the demons had to do what we said. You remember what Jesus said? Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That you're on the roll. There's a roll called up yonder, right? The idea of having names written in the Lamb's book of life, enrolled in heaven. This is our home. Right knowing leads to? Do we know this? Do we know that this is our place? That it's not the other mountain, shaking, fear, quaking, but now mediated we have a home where we belong. A place created for us by God where, where we can stand, where we can be at home. The redeemed with names written in heaven. We also come to God, the judge of all. But somehow when we read about God, the judge of all, and this is the same God who was the judge of all at the other mountain, wasn't it? But the other mountain, shaking and quaking. Yes? This mountain just doesn't feel that way, does it? It doesn't feel that way. And I'm, I'm not saying that there, there's not reverence and awe, but I am saying that there's, there's just something different about the way it's described. You're coming before God, the judge of all. But it's a celebration. The angels are in festal gathering. Your name is written. Is there anything to fear? If your name is written in heaven? So we, we come to God, the judge of all. And then I love this phrase, to the righteous made perfect. Every one of us, when we come to that place, Mount Zion, our heavenly home, when we arrive in that place, we will be the spirits of just men made perfect. Now don't, don't be offended by the word men. I know it's Mother's Day, but it means just mankind. Just mankind. How did we get justified? How were we made just as if we'd never sinned? How was the righteousness of God imputed to us? Through Jesus Christ, right? It's His righteousness that we wear. Look, if you don't have His righteousness on, you can't get in. If you're not wearing His clothes, you don't get in. It's got to be in Him. You've got to be dressed in Christ. So we're righteous men, but that last phrase I love, made perfect, complete. How are we made complete? Because we're with Him now. We're in His presence. We're right there. The Bible says that once we're with Him, we're not ever going to be apart again. Now we've lived out our lives for the most part in at least physically separated from seeing the reality of Jesus Christ. Now I realize spiritually we have Him within us. He's with us. He's watching over us. But I've never seen the color of His eyes. I've never seen His face when He smiles. But I'm going to. And when I do, there will have been nothing else like that, right? There will not be anything else like the beauty of seeing righteous men made complete. And then, what's the next one in this section of Scripture? We also come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. What does it say? To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. He's the reason we can get there. Apart from Him, we can't go. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. Listen, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. 
which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus Christ, the mediator, the only one, the God-man, who could put his hand in God's hand, equal to the Father, who could put his hand in man's hand, equal to man, to bridge the gap that sin brought between man and his Creator. Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. Man, it's a beautiful thing. Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples on the night before he died? He, t- he lifted the cup and he said, This cup is the New Testament, the new covenant, my blood shed for you. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me, right? When we have, when we have communion, we remember that which God has done. What? The fact that he has become our mediation, that he brings us into this right place. Now, as you see the two mountains, I just want you to see the two mountains are different, right? One mountain, the people terrified, we don't want. Other mountain, people not terrified, they want to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. But I also want you to contrast the voices between the two mountains. You had a voice speaking from the mountain. Remember the first mountain? You have not come to this mountain, the Mount Sinai. You have not come to this mountain, the voice that no one wanted to hear. All they could say was, make that voice go away. Make the voice go away. Was too heavy, too much, too, too much to handle. Moses, you go deal with it. That's the unmediated covenant. But the voice in this next one, the voice in this next section, the voice speaks from what? It says, the voice speaks the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The first one, the people couldn't handle. Make that voice go away. The second one is the blood of Jesus Christ, and it speaks. What does it say? I love you. I want to be with you. I will cleanse you. I will make you whole. What did the blood of Abel scream? God said the blood of Abel cries out for justice. The blood of Jesus Christ cries out forgiveness. Cries out love. Cries out, I will be there for you. So remember, as we work our way through, right knowing leads to right doing. Do we understand this reality that we have a mediator who is Jesus Christ who causes us to be able to stand in the terrifying place which is the presence of Almighty God. That He makes us whole and complete. That He has provided for us. And if you notice it flows naturally into the next exhortation. If you know that, then look at verse 25. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. Right doing. Respond. Respond. God is calling us to respond to Him. To come to Him. To to literally run to that which Jesus Christ is offering. To hear the cry of the blood of Jesus Christ and come. You see, the Gospel lays out for us The Bible tells us the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation, right? So when we hear the Gospel that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died for our sins, saves us from the wrath of God, which is to be poured out, and calls us to come and bids 
Whosoever come, come. Today is the day. Now is the time. Respond to the voice. The next action, the next doing, is that phrase. Do not refuse the voice. Is there salvation in any other name? Is there any other way by which men must be saved? Is there any other way that our lives can be coming, uh, can be placed back on track? Do not refuse Him who is speaking. What is it that Jesus is saying? I will forgive you. I love you. But it requires something of us. We come. We come. And we say, Lord... I am guilty. I need your forgiveness. I'm broken. I need your wholeness. My wife says I'm snarky. I'm not, I'm not sure where that word came from. I'm pretty sure it's not in Webster's, but that's what she says when I, when I think I'm funny, and she doesn't. Same way, man, I come to God. This is just who I am. Look, I'm not, I'm not good. I'm not smart enough to, to fake it till I make it. I just am who I am. I'm just another broken guy trying to get through this life uh, by following Christ. Trust in Him that, that He makes a difference. And I'm not going to refuse what He says. So I've shared with you before, as far as I'm concerned, the Word of God is is the ultimate authority. So if the Word of God says, don't do this, then I'm going to say, don't do that. I'm going to say it to you, and I'm going to say it to me. Jesus Christ is God the Word. And the Word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we see Everything we need to know about Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He reveals the Father to us. He shows us. So we can see, so we can know, so we can cling to. So the point, the next doing, if you know that, listen to what He says. There seems to be a disconnect there sometimes. Listen. Don't refuse the voice. It's never the proper response to God to say, no, Lord. Is it? It doesn't even, those two words don't sound right together. No, Lord. If you read the Bible, whenever there was a response like that, the next thing wasn't good. The proper response is yes. Yeah, Lord, your way is the best way. I don't want to do it that way. Your way is the best way. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. Third exhortation, listen to God. Listen to what He says. Don't refuse Him. What's the next motivation? The next motivation we see is going to take us all the way to verse 27. It's going to talk about two things. Fear and promise. Fear and promise. First we'll look at fear. For if they did not escape 
when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns from heaven. What role does fear have in our life? We ought to think about it. Because there's, there's a lot of scary Scripture, you know, for lack of a better term. And I think sometimes there's a, there's a habit for you and I to fall asleep in our Cheerios. You guys ever seen a baby who's tired? Just done. And they start to get the wobbly head while they're eating? I was pretty sure JC was going to drown in spaghetti. He would literally slam his entire face in the spaghetti. And then the bubbles would come out from the side. Bubbles would come out from the side. So I know he's still breathing. And then he'd wake up and lick his lips. A couple seconds later, face go back in. Sometimes we go through life like that. We're asleep. We're asleep in the light. And God uses warning passages just like this to wake us up. Look, if they didn't escape when they were warned by Him on earth, the voice that spoke from earth on Mount Sinai, God meant what He said then. They do not escape. Do we think we will from the voice who speaks from heaven, the better voice that is offering greater things, a mediated covenant, a reality by which we can draw near to the Lord, we need to realize that God is calling us to wake out of slumber, to realize that we are supposed to be fulfilling a commission that Jesus Christ gave. No? Didn't He say, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth? So all authority on earth, that's a lot, right? Is that pretty much all authority? And all authority in heaven? So go... Make disciples, teach them, baptize them, and know this, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, I'm with you even until the end of the age. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But sometimes we fall asleep. We're asleep in the light. And so this warning passage says, there's no escape for him from the voice that spoke on earth. There's no escape from the voice who speaks from heaven. There is only one name by which men must be saved. We must respond. We must listen. So what is it that I need to do? What is He asking me to do here? He's asking me to listen to the blood of Jesus Christ. What is it saying? I love you. I forgive you. I'll empower you. I'll equip you. Listen to what the blood of Jesus Christ is declaring. And then, secondarily, look to the mediator, the one who stands between us. We, we began in this by, by being called to cast aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, right? And then the next verse tells us to look at who? Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who begins it, the one who ends it. Look unto Jesus. So what do you do? Listen to the blood and look to the mediator. Listen to what the blood is saying. Look to the mediator. Be melted in love for the Savior. Because if you know what His blood says, if you know what He has done for you, then this warning passage doesn't melt you in fear 
so that you flee from the mountain, this warning passage melts your heart to love. And then you move toward Him, not away. Because C.S. Lewis got it right. When he described God as Aslan, when they looked at the lion and, and the daughters of Eve and the sons of Adam said, Is he tame? And the book says, no, he's not tame. Listen, God's not tame. But he's good. He's good. And we see it and know his goodness through the mediator, Jesus Christ. Look to him. Look to him and listen, obey the voice. Right knowing leads to... Right doing, if we understand who He is, will be melted into love for our Savior. Verse 26, at that time, His voice shook the earth, yet now He has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So the first part of our motivation was to hear the blood and look to the mediator. The second part is the promise. What's the promise? Look at the promise he gives. One day, all that is shakable is going to go away. You ever had somebody you just wanted to count on and they let you down? Don't that suck? Now, not only... Is that true for most of us? But if we think about it, most of us have been that person to someone else. You know what I mean? I'm the one they're supposed to be able to lean on. And I screw up. Oh. Sometimes we're that person too. Do you know that the Bible says every shakable thing will be gone? That though I may fail now and I may fall short now, that God's Word tells me that one day, I won't anymore. Or you ever lean into something that you thought was going to carry you through? You know, maybe that, that, uh, <laughs> that, that new Harley that you're riding around. And do you guys know the story of that Harley? I, I, I bought that Harley, what, a year ago? I don't remember. Cap? You're just going to go with it, huh? I bought it a year ago, and I and I got the it's a used bike, so I got the the warranty. You know, they give you a warranty that covers everything, from the tail light bulb in the back to the tail light bulb in the front, or the, whatever you call that one in the front. What's the one in the front? Headlight. It's a good thing I got you guys to keep me straight. So I get this bike. At least I know how to start it, right? So I get this bike, and we're riding it around, and I'm having a ball. We're going this big, long ride all the way up to Pine. I'm so excited. I got, a, I got a pretty new bike because I didn't want it to break down. We had, I did not have that bike two weeks before I was towing it to a shop. You ever have something like that let you down? Towing your Harley to the shop where it sits for like the next three weeks because they're so busy? which should have been another bad sign for me. <laughs> I don't mean that. And 
Then they take it in and they find out what's wrong with it. But the good news is I got a warranty, right? <laughs> Them people, I, they are the, they are the, the, they're just, they're just it. This is what they do. They, I, I, so they, I bought it from them. It's all the parts they put on it. I ain't done nothing yet. This is what they say. Well, that bike has aftermarket parts. Those aren't covered by warranty. So I said to the warranty guy, you do realize this whole bike is aftermarket parts. Yeah, all those aftermarket parts aren't covered. But thank you for purchasing the warranty. We're glad to be able to serve you in any way that we might be able to serve you. You ever have those things in your life that let you down? Here's what God's Word is saying. Every shakeable thing, everything that will let you down, everything that won't hold you up, is going. God says, I'm going to take it all away. All gone. No more things that are going to be shakeable. That's the promise. God says, I'm going to remove everything that can be shaken. Here's what Haggai said. Haggai 2, 6, and 9 is where this is taken from. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasures of all nations will come in, and I will fit this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So what's he say? There's going to be a change in the universe. Everything in the universe that can be shaken is going to be shook so that it doesn't shake anymore. You want to read about that? Isaiah chapter 11 tells us what it's going to be like when God restores creation to its, its status before the fall. Right? You guys have all heard, we, we, we've all heard the saying, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Right? We all know that's wrong. That's not in the Bible nowhere. The Bible says the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the wolf will lay down with the lamb. But the idea is that natural enemies won't be enemies anymore. What's that going to be like? What's it going to be like to be able to go walk out and see a pack of wolves come walking over and not have to be afraid? They're not going to attack nothing. They're not tearing nothing up. They're not eating nothing. In fact, they're just coming over to give you a ride. Your little child is playing outside and the cobra rolls by and just crawls around him and over his head and they're just playing. The Bible talks about that. The child will play by the cobra's den and not have to be afraid. Everything that can be shaken, all those things in life that disappoint or cause us fear, God says, I'm going to take it all away. He's going to conquer all the nations. All the nations. You don't have no more crazy people out there running countries. You can import your own crazy person in that phrase. I know we have a lot of different people here, but there's plenty of crazy people in the world to go around. So you put your crazy guy in there, there will be no more crazy guys running nations. There will be the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the temple that is His presence, and ultimately, peace. Yeah? There will be no more news to watch on TV. Why? Because there's nothing to talk about. It's all good. That day will come. Jesus said, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken. Here's how it says it in Hebrews 1, verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll it up like a garment. They will be changed. 
Just like you change your clothes. They'll be changed, but you are the same. Your years have no end. God's going to set it all to right. You have the fear. Wake up. Listen to what the blood is saying. Look at the mediator. And you have the promise. All the things that are wrong are going to get set right. All the things that are sideways in this life, God is going to put straight. Which leads us, by the way, to our fourth exhortation in verse 28. See the therefore? Right knowing leads to? Right doing. Here it is. Therefore, let us be grateful for a kingdom that can't be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. How do I fulfill that? I have right knowing. I know that God's going to shake it all. He's going to make it all straight. He's going to make it right. He's going to put things right. I know the things that God has delivered, what He said about Himself. I understand what the blood of Jesus Christ is saying, that God has provided mediation so that I can stand before God. So I don't want to spurn the voice of God. I don't want to go deaf to what God is saying. I don't want to be like Esau and trade it all for a bowl of Cheerios. Oh, I don't want that. Just give me some Cheerios. We'll call it good. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who comes to the Lord with unwavering hope. Holding on to the promise. Recognizing the beauty of who He is. And I want to worship God in reverence and awe for who He is. Because if I know right, I'll do right. If I know wrong, I'll do wrong. I need to know rightly who He is. I need to know rightly what He has done so that I can respond to Him. So I can say, God, I'm thankful that there is a day coming. There will be a day. Now maybe it's today, or maybe it's not, but there will be a day. And when that day comes, I promise you and I are not going to talk about all the disappointing things we went through in this life. We're not going to go, oh, but why did this happen? Why did that happen? It won't happen on that day. Because the Bible tells in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that the things that we suffered in this life we won't even be able to compare to the glory that will be revealed in that one. To the glory that will be revealed in His presence. I'm pretty sure all the questions we're sure we have for God are going to wash away when you see Jesus' face. When you have your moment, nobody else with you, we all get one, at least one, you look right in His eyes, And He's going to talk to you. You get that. And on that moment, all your questions are going to go out the window. Because you're going to see the eyes of the God who loves you enough to die for you. Whose blood is calling out better things than the blood of Abel. Not for justice, but for forgiveness. A call to repentance and faith call to put our hope in Christ. So don't spurn that voice, but respond to that voice. That's the fourth exhortation. But the fourth motivation, that's the last verse. Are we taking a trip back to fear? For our God is an all-consuming fire. 
That's right knowing that leads to right doing. This final motivation, is it all about fear? The one that trusts the promise of the unshakable kingdom, who sets their heart on it, who lays up their treasure for it. What did Jesus say? Don't lay up your treasure here. Lay it where? In heaven. With Him, right? Where moths don't destroy, where, where it doesn't rust, where thieves won't break in and steal. Lay up our treasures in heaven. Is this our treasure to obey the voice, to hold to the unshakable kingdom? If that's true, then the fire of God is there to consume your enemies and purify your gold. Look what it says. It says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-9, through Since indeed God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. God is not tame, but He is good. But we can't stand before Him without a mediator. We can't come to Him through any other name but the name of Jesus Christ. We come to Him on the name of Jesus Christ and whatever afflictions the world or those in opposition to God dump on us, God says, don't sweat it, I got them. He says, I will afflict them who afflict you. I am an all-consuming fire. He also is going to take our wood, hay, and stubble, our gold and precious gems, and He's going to cause them to pass through the fire. And what comes out? That's going to be the refined. The refiner's fire refines our gold, our works. He refines them through His fire. And those things become the reward of God's people. So if we are responding to the voice of Christ, if you are with Him, Second Thessalonians 1 says, if you know God, you're golden. If you don't know God, if you're rejecting that voice, you're not. For our God is an all-consuming fire. If you reject the one who speaks from heaven, like Esau, if you, pref- if you prefer the, the fragile, shaky, broken kingdom of this world, then you will meet the consuming fire of God, the God of destruction and not of deliverance. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, it says, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which He made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. God won't share you with nothing else. He wants you true. Pretty much the way you want your husband or wife. Nobody says, you know, I want a very unfaithful husband or a very unfaithful wife. Right? That's the same thing the Scripture saying. God says, I want a faithful follower. Not unfaithful. I want somebody who's all in. 
not part way in. I want somebody who's not going to run around to other gods, to other places to find satiation or their satisfaction, but they're going to come to me and realize that when the Lord God Almighty is our treasure, then you, for the first time, will learn satisfaction. Because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. It's the perfect part of the relationship. When He is my treasure. So as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, this intensely practical chapter saying, here's the things, go do this, go do this, go do this. But it's all linked to, but when you go do it, know this, know this, know this. Right knowing leads to right doing. Hold fast to those things. Listen to the voice of God who speaks to us from the blood of Jesus and says, I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will accept you. I will protect you. I will give you an unshakable home. And I will always be there for you if you trust me. So trust Him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, as we come to You this morning, Lord, we lay out the the section of Scripture. God, I pray, Lord, that You would just burn away the chaff, Lord, that, that we might hold fast to that which is from You. Lord, we pray, God, that You would work on our hearts, our hearts that are broken, our hearts that are hurting, our hearts that, that need to respond to the voice that is calling from the blood of God that says, I'm Your mediator. And none of us will measure up without Him. That we, God, Your people, would respond to Your voice. That we would say, yeah, this is what God's voice is saying. This is what the Word of God indicates. And so the Word of God should transform me from the inside out that I might become who God is calling me to be. God, I pray that today we would hear Your voice and we would respond. Having a relationship with you is not difficult. It just simply requires that. Repent and believe. Jesus commands all men everywhere. Repent, turn from our lives, and turn toward Christ. Receive forgiveness. Receive eternal life. Receive an unshakable kingdom. Receive a God who loves and adores and will refine and build up His people. There is so much we receive in Christ that is so much better than what we will ever lose. God, I pray that our hearts and minds will be turned toward You and as we worship If there's anybody here who doesn't know you, they take the time to come up as prayer counselors are available up front. And they receive what the voice in heaven is calling them to. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.